Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. And today I'm sitting down with Anne Miles. And it's difficult to describe you, Anne, in one sentence. You have so many strings to your bow. Um, Entrepreneur, founder of Suits and Sneakers, industry activist, mentor, podcaster, broadcaster. Um, I could keep going, but I should probably just let you say hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I, I do 100% agree. I'm a bit of a like complex person. And I worked out the other day that I actually have 22 certifications in different things and some that I just don't even talk about here. So I am very much a, um, a complex, multi-talented, weird person. Yes, I remember <laughs> when I first met you, actually, um, you were talking about the most recent sort of um, certifications and I just... Remember thinking, well, I've got some VCEs and a degree, and that's about it. <laughs> you sort of put me to shame in that in that regard. But look, it's great to have you um, uh, talking to us today. Um, let's start with your your suits and sneakers operation. Talk to us about the proposition and why did you create it? Yeah, it's funny. So I was one of these people in the advertising industry that hit forty and started to go, "Hang on a minute, you know." why aren't I as busy as I used to and started to wonder if something was going wrong? And weirdly, I was, and I feel even more so now, um, you know, I'm 57 now, and I go, I'm at the absolute top of my game and I've never been better at my job or better as a person and yet in the advertising industry I'm pretty invisible. And then what happened was I saw JWT, and I'm saying it because it's publicly said, they were retrenching creative people all in different offices around the world Mm -hmm. and there was like five in each office and I looked at the photos of everyone who was retrenched and they were all with grey hair and older. And then JWT did get in a lot of trouble about this because there was this, you know, we're getting rid of white pale stale kind of stuff which is, you know, horrible. So I just was watching that in the press and I went to myself out loud, sitting in my room all on my own, I went, right, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> I've had it. I've had it. I'm just really sick of this. And so that someone needs to build a business that has all these amazing people where you can find them under one roof yeah. and that's the moment <laughs> the business started. It did actually start as a different name first. It was the International Creative Services and then I've learned things about trademarking and whatnot, right. so I had to change the name. And it's so more appropriate too because suits and sneakers, some people go, is that shoes and socks? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like the suits are the account service strategists, those people, and the sneakers yeah. are creative tech production people. And so now I've got like my database I've been collecting for many years. It's like up to 17,000 amazing talent. And so I just handpick people. So where a a, um, virtual agency differs to me is a virtual agency is just an ad agency that uses freelancers, whereas I can connect you up with the people. But if you want someone to supervise the job and keep everything on track, then we act totally as the intermediary. So we're not an agency, but we could pull all the team together to make you do an in-house agency, for example, and then everyone's accountable to suits and sneakers, including the client. So that's, you know, been a rattle of the industry's models, I guess, yeah. 
Yeah, it, and look, there's a couple of, of parallels, I guess. You know, I'm you know, I'm in my forties, um, and um, I noticed some of the things that, that you've spoken about there. Um, it's obviously all about balance um, and, and and not discriminating. I think you know, and, and that's something that, and we'll come on and talk about broader forms of discrimination a bit later on. But um, mm. there are parallels with Trinity P3. Uh, you know, we're all mm. very experienced people, um, and the reason is that experience um, is extremely valuable um, and some of the mm. areas you touched on there you know not just being a virtual agency but uh, mm. um, but managing and, and running these kind of projects and, and in-housing mm. I mean that takes that takes grey hairs that takes experience that's where a lot of agencies fall down right definitely and the other thing I've sort of learned over the years is you know both sides don't do the right right thing by each other always and sometimes the inexperience of people you know, they mean well. I think I always think the best of people, which has got me in trouble too. But I do think people mean well. But I've had clients who wouldn't, you know, pay for really inappropriate reasons and then freelancers who have also pissed off with, you know, the first 50 up front and those things. So I, yeah. I thought, no, nah, we need another way to w work as an industry. And definitely you can see I'm very purpose-driven about, you know, fixing bad stuff yes. <laughs> and so one I feel like it's an inclusive environment so people are being chosen by for talent mm -hmm. regardless of age regardless of gender country whatever and Suits and Sneakers is moving into a, also a tech solution so people can see the talent but they won't know what gender age race any of that so you can choose people yourself because I'm just having to sort of clone myself now so I'm going okay we'll make it into a tech thing um so there'll be one offering and if you need the supervision then you can still have that but everyone can find the talent without that yes. bias yes so I feel like it's solving that it's solving people running off with each other's money and not doing good jobs I used services like 99 designs and freelancer and you know there's some good things about those if you know what you're doing but I've in the early days you know I've had people who've made me apps and then, you know, all they were doing it for was, you know, take my password and, you know, use my uh, Apple ID and whatever and yeah. then I've wasted all my production time and even though 99, whichever it was, one of the platforms, at the end they can mediate but once you've spent your money and you've missed your deadline, you've missed it. So yeah. I'm going, we've got to have better than that. Yeah, for sure. So I'm pulling all these problems that I found and going, how can I, you yeah. know, make the world better? <laughs> and with the clients, it's a pretty consultative model, I guess. I mean, this isn't you're not you're not a, you're not doing account service here, right? You're doing account leadership, or you you're bringing mm. this together in a very consultative way. It definitely is that because I think that um, in the world now, outside of agencies. Agencies are very siloed, so people sit in one little box each and that also adds lots of cost to the job because every single seat has to be touched, whereas in the world outside of there, there's lots of really multi-talented people. So mm -hmm. the art of putting multi-talented people together is quite a challenge yes. as well and going, well, okay, well, we've got that person so they can do those two jobs and this person can do those three, but we've got this other funny gap and... You know, that I, I really love that. That I feel really is a um, challenging part of the job. And I'm lucky because I, because of the discrimination I've personally experienced, mm -hmm. you know, and could always get to a certain point and then they'd go, oh, no, sorry, there's no room for women in this agency and as, you know, managing director or CEO because this is an automotive-led agency and, you know, we don't have women here. And I'd go, okay, well, I'm out of that agency. So to get my intellectual stretch over the years, I would go as far as I could in each 
company, even when the you know management trainers would say, your next CEO is in this room, <laughs> there was yeah. no way I could ever get up. And so I just went sideways. So I've been in research, in marketing client side, um, in agencies and strategy, and I've had a long career in creative and production. And so now it's giving me this unique ability to see what the little jigsaw puzzle needs to look like. So I feel like it's making sense of a lot of the things, yeah, in my experience. I really enjoy that. I'm always, I'm always faintly astonished when um, people relate those kind of experiences about, you know, I was told that there's no room for a woman in an automotive-led agency. Um, yeah. And that's just my own blinkers, right? I mean, I don't see it because I'm not I'm not female. Yeah. Um, I don't see it enough, mm-hmm. at least. I don't, I don't participate in that as an individual, but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. it just doesn't happen, right? Um, but I'm yeah. interested in, I mean, we're... we're, we're you know, we'll come back. I mean, we're going at a tangent here a little bit, but mm. um, is that as much to do with clients' preconceptions as it is the agency? You know, in other words, the client, mm. automotive client, wouldn't necessarily want a, a woman in quotes working on their account. I mean, where does that even come yeah. from? It's a really important, good question, and I thought that the problem was all in agencies originally, and maybe been even a bit spoken out about that. But I did go client side at yeah. one point, and I've got to say, it's you know, it's in there so badly and um, especially in the automotive industry because that was my specialty for me and when I got there the worst thing about it is that they have in those companies much more stringent HR policies so luckily in an agency someone said it out loud to me right Mm. and then I've had things like you know the creative director's putting his penis on my shoulder and people you know sexually abusing me and those things but they were obvious do you know what I mean when I went on the client side being blanked in a meeting and someone else raising your point when you left the room and pretending it was their own is so much more insidious or having a meeting without me on my own project and making decisions that I would never they would never have even bothered the courtesy to tell me that is much more insidious and harmful. I feel like I'd rather the penis on my shoulder because I can go piss off. <laughs> than, okay, and I'm how sick gonna, is that? You know? I'm not going to make any comment on which of those two scenarios is worse, but I, yeah. t- I do understand what you're saying. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, I think people do experience that um, at various times, that, that, that kind of insidious passive-aggressive exclusion. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've experienced that. But I haven't experienced mm. it because I'm a woman. I mean, there, there's a very diff, there's a there's a fine line, but it's a very mm. distinctive line, right? Um, but you are raising a good point, though. Like, and I and I'm as much about equality across the board, yes, of course, and yeah. so I do agree that it happens to men too. And I do think that, you know, maybe I'm you know jumping here, but you know, when you get feminist activism out there, it does put the focus on uh, just one gender mm. and the problem, but. I feel like it would be better if we could be dealing with the problem for everyone and we'd have more of success across the board, yeah. I think I partly hold mm. that thought because we're going to come on and talk about that. But I, mm. I think, I mean, the line of distinction is people experiencing that kind of um, passive aggressivity in the office mm. for other, for, for reasons of, you know, they're not liked as a person or, or you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't experienced that kind of thing in the office because I'm a man. yeah. <laughs> Whereas, whereas you have experienced it because you're a woman, and that so that's the, that's a mm. you know based on that kind of um, exclusivity based on gender is the is the defining mm. the, the crossover point, right? That's right, and it is very hard to know when it is and when it isn't. I think that would be good to track more of that. Like it's also difficult in companies because 
they have a criteria that they're working to, which is bullying. So bullying is a certain criteria and it's repeat behaviour that impacts a single person exclusively at, and not others. Mm. But no one protects people from just being a bad manager and doing it to lots of people or, you know, just to one gender. You can't, no one's really tracking that. So yeah. I feel like that is opening a broader thing about you know, whether this is just a gendered problem or not. But it's, mm. yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, to be dismissed, uh, you can tell when it's just an asshole, <laughs> and when it's someone who thinks that you won't know because you're a woman or, you know, I don't see your place here. I think uh, I'd have to, to mm. test that, to test some of what you're saying, I'd have to go and work on a, like a lingerie brand or a, or, a, or a cosmetics brand or something that would traditionally be a, a female and then see if that happened to me because I'm a guy. Mm. Um, and it's very possible. And as much as I, um, you know, I'm all for you're fighting for equality, I do think that, um, you know, we're talking here about males against females a bit. At the same time, I think females are just as bad at perpetuating this problem for other women and also for ourselves. One of, uh, the worst person who harmed me the most over all of my adult career and I'm talking about also at home where you know I lived in a, uh, a, a relationship with domestic violence involved so I look back and the common thread is also me so I was brought up that you know it was not your job to ever overshadow a man it was also you you know sit back and be quiet and be the behind the scenes kind of person and if you step up that's inappropriate too and also in an environment where someone else has bullied you when you were young and you were told just ignore it just ignore it you know those things also perpetuate you to put up with behavior because you think it's normal mm. so I'm not the only one so whilst I'm saying oh, I think there are some you know challenges with men behaving a certain way I think you know it's a societal problem and I perpetuated it too so it took a while for me to go, hang on a minute, <laughs> I'm doing this too. Yeah, but it's, I mean, that's mm. really, because we're talking, we started by talking about this in a professional context, but, mm. you know, those kind of comments um, and, and seeing yourself and others raise these kind of issues in the industry, it does, all, you know, when I read this stuff, it makes me think about myself, not just as an individual in a profession, but as a parent. Mm. Because these things do stem from how, how people have been around. I've got a 10-year-old girl at home. Mm. How do I want her to be? Yeah. Do I want her to be the person standing back mm. and never being overshadowing a man? Well, no. <laughs> um, am I mm. even subconsciously directing her like that? Well, I have to always mm. be conscious and thinking about that because that's not what I want. Um, no, for good for you. And I do think there are a lot of people like that too. And frankly, I actually have put a um, parenting course together now. Oh, there you because, go. So, uh, see, I should have said it was yeah. another string to the bow. Which yeah. is hilarious because I am actually um, trained um, as a life coach there's like six qualifications just in um, life coaching type stuff. So I thought if I'm solving this problem in the world, I do need to make it impact um, parents and the next generation too. Mm. So I do agree. And and it's not just in the workplace, it's coming because this is in life everywhere. So Absolutely. Good for you. Uh, you well, well <laughs> how successful I am, I don't know. But let, let, yeah. let's... Um, it's a sort of semi-segue because you, you just touched on societal issues and, and you know, let's, let's change gear a bit. Um, and talk about something else that you, you, you've been involved in, aside from suits and sneakers. You've become known as, a, as an advocate for several causes, many of which are intrinsically linked to the concept of conscious capitalism. 
Now, I'm probably going to need, I'm going to need some education on this, but, mm -hmm. but the vision of which, you know, as I understand it, or if I had to describe it in one sentence, is to move to a world in which uh, commercial enterprise is a primary driver of social impact of many types um, mm -hmm. on the planet. And so that, that's a very wide-ranging vision, and, and as mm -hmm. well as being a world away from a sort of corporate social responsibility document written on a piece of paper, which has been traditionally where companies have come from. Where did your mm. passion for conscious capitalism begin? Mm. Where have I gone wrong in my, my description just then? And, and what do you see as the most powerful levers mm. of change? Yeah, they're really deep, wonderful topics, my favourite thing to talk about. So I yeah. think conscious capitalism came to me probably through like really good old-fashioned Christian values and, you know, brought up in a country town and, you know, really running that way. And a farm business is more than just a job anyway. And so I guess those values came through generally as me as a person. And then having been in an industry that was just so capitalist for so long, I, you know, just didn't feel like I fit all this time. And then I went to Grey Worldwide, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think, it must be in the early 90s now, and they had the TAC account back then. And that was like... <laughs> like the world opened up I went wow okay yeah. there's this sort of work you know and so that gave me the first taste of it and then after leaving agencies and uh, you know whatever I started to look more into what made that so good and the concept of purpose came up mm -hmm. and just sort of researching more about purpose I stumbled across conscious capitalism which was at that time an American um, actual organisation, conscious capitalism with capital C's. Right. But the idea of conscious capitalism, little c's, is a concept and, you know, it sort of is a movement. So I really dug into that. And I did even run the Australian chapter here in a, um, for about 18 months as well. So I did dive in. So that's the journey of right. me getting there. Um, so conscious capitalism, I think you've actually said it really well and I do think the nuances in those things between social impact and uh, corporate social responsibility gets muddied sometimes. So you, you did say, well, but I, I wouldn't mind recapping so everyone else gets the nuance. Mm. So conscious capitalism has four main things that drives it. So it's purpose-driven, it's um, culture, leadership, and also they call it uh, stakeholder alignment. So pretty much that means everyone in the chain of communication is looked after okay. and so that's suppliers it's your people it's the society it's everything so corporate social responsibility for example as you know charity work and all of that would fit with under stakeholder yeah, I understand. it could be also you purpose driven and whatever but it is separate mm -hmm. and it's not enough to say it's everything um so i think that's where a lot of people get mistaken and i've even heard you know really well regarded people in our industry mistake what purpose is and they say it's just social responsibility and I go no it's like why are you doing what you're doing as a brand and you know how's it impacting all of your people and your internal workflow uh, how's it impacting the suppliers and how's everyone being you know kept honest mm -hmm. and then the corporate social responsibility may be a part of that or, or it might not be yeah so for me it just covered everything okay yeah. okay and, and so in terms of where we are I mean let's focus maybe mm. let's maybe let's look at Australia to, to avoid making this conversation too broad let's yeah. focus on Australia mm. um, 
out of 10, where, where are we on a, on a mm. conscious capitalist journey? Are there any shining lights mm. in, in this country that you would point to? Yeah, that's a, a, actually a really topical and great question because um, there are some brands that are really leading the way in that way and it would be great to acknowledge them. And um, Unilever is doing a particularly awesome job. Mm -hmm. um, then there's brands like um, Intrepid Travel. They're like flagships, I would say, in Australia. Unilever's, of course, got international um, ownership, but, you know, they are really standout. Mm -hmm. And then there's a bunch of businesses that are B Corp classified that yes. I consider, you know, living and breathing evidence of the conscious capitalist um, movement and they've got a certification that's very aligned. So those two things, two industries, two businesses even, are, are very good. So if anyone's looking for the shortcut, look for a B Corp. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and some, someone like Intrepid that's a very big company now, it's very difficult to get a B Corp certification. Uh, and I'm under the impression, I could be wrong, that Unilever is attempting to as well. And, you know, they seem to be operating that way, but to get the certification, it's really, really hard. So I think that's a really good measure for everyone to see where they're at. I imagine that um, the larger and more complex you are as an organisation, the harder it must be to get a big call. Right? Yeah. Because, I, and I'm not, I, I don't, mm. you know, I don't fully understand exactly what's entailed. I know there are some mm. agencies, going back to our own industry, um, Benedictus Media is one I know, and uh, there's ah. a, All or Nothing is another one. Um, mm. They're both B Corp certified, mm. but they're both relatively small companies. Intrepid Travelers, of course, relatively small compared with Unilever. Yeah. Does it? Is that right? Mm. Does it just become more complicated because you've got yeah. so many other things, you so many suppliers, so many different mm. levers in your business, right? Definitely. And look, you know, for full transparency, I've done the first part of the B Corp certification myself and they've gone, whoa, your score's like super high, you do really well. But for me to be spending the money it takes to be B Corp certified, yes. I'm going, I'd rather finish my tech right now and <laughs> get more people working than I would the, have this sort of a superficial badge and when I live and breathe those things. So there are others that are like me where we, you know, do this but we don't have the badge. But it is a good shortcut for people and I 100% endorse, you know, the B Corp thing. So, so you've gone good. you've gone positive there. I mean, you know, I asked mm. you for a score out of ten. I guess, I guess. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, but you've you've mentioned some interesting examples, mm. and um, but I'll be honest, yeah. I do think there's a long way to go. I, I think yeah. so too. I mean, let's be <laughs> yeah. honest. Yeah, but you've you've yeah. highlighted some really interesting mm. and different companies. I you know I would never have mm. if I had to guess who you were going to highlight. I would never mm. have said Unilever. Honestly, yeah. with all due respect to Unilever, I just no. it's not a company I would have thought of mm. um, that would that would be that far advanced but yeah and they did it as an initial experiment on only certain brands within their portfolio and then they've realized that it has such a commercial advantage that now they're running it across others as well so they're really serious about it and I think they need you know commendation more than anyone is it's not just you know one brand with them there's so mm. many I think the ultimate thing even though I've talked about conscious capitalism capitalism as specific things the overriding principle is you can still make money as a business but do good for the world while you're at it. That's yes. the summary of it and that's what, you know, I feel like drives me every day. Surely there's a way we can still, you know, uh, yeah, get business in the door but, yeah, have do something good and protect people and do the right thing. So one of the many ways of doing the right mm. thing um, mm. is 
using the power of your marketing or using the power of your advertising to um, try and rid the world of um, discrimination or, or lack of diversity in how you present yourself as an organisation. Mm. Um, and you know, obviously the consumer-facing part of a business is often represented by its marketing and advertising, and, and too much marketing and advertising still contains stereotypes, still contains mm. bias, um, either conscious or unconscious, which mm. I think jars not just with industry observers or experts, but with a consumer base that's less and less silent and more and more powerful, right? People are just noticing this stuff or having more voice, actually. Probably not noticing. They've always noticed it, but now mm. they've got a uh, more of a voice. Mm. Um, what are the biggest challenges you see with, with marketing and, and advertising? And do you mm -hmm. think that application of ethical advertising, which is kind of what I'm talking about here, mm. you know, not just what a business communicates, but how messages are communicated and the removal mm. of bias from those messages, mm. does that have a laddering up role to play in, in to, to mm. support these broader ideas we've just been talking about, like conscious capitalism? Yeah, I definitely think it's a part of conscious capitalism um, because ultimately my belief and the research and thing, all the data I have around this is that businesses that actually respect their customer properly and are talking to the right people in the right way, they outperform businesses that are just on, you know, good old rote fashion using demographic profiling yeah. and things like that. So I feel, yeah, it's totally conscious capitalist because it's one, uh, businesses can perform better with it and two, you know, then you're finishing harming people. But the topic generally is actually quite deep so and I'm lucky because I have done this you know jobs in lots of different parts of the industry mm. I can see that the the depiction of stereotypes is still happening in media marketing and advertising and we now know that there's evidence that says that that is causing harm to society so we've got evidence now that says it's creating uh, domestic violence bullying and mental health problems proven. The UK believes that study so much that they've changed their laws and they've changed the self-regulation system. Mm -hmm. So the, it, there's actually a pathway between the self-regulation system and the laws being upheld. So it's that's how serious they are about it. And when I learned that and having my own experience with domestic violence and, you know, other things, I became all the more passionate about this topic. And so I feel, well, I know our self-regulation system is a really big problem for this, is the first step back. And the general public don't know how to complain, typically. And I think 51% said if they complained anyway, they didn't think anything would be done with it. Mm -hmm. So the self-regulation system is not just an AANA, ABS problem. It's also the fact that if anyone wanted to claim, uh, make a complaint, if it was in an outdoor billboard, they'd have to go to that person. If it was in the radio, they'd have to go to that one. Yeah. And if it was TV, then it's ABS. If it's in packaging, nobody is handling it. So we don't have a place and a safe and easy place for anyone to complain even if they wanted to. So they're only complaining and making a voice now through social media and through their wallet, which, you know, if you look at the Edelman Trust Barometer, you can see some evidence around their beliefs about that and also there is a gap at the end of the day they still are buying when they don't want to. Mm. So we've got those problems and then if you go back a step, if we did get the self-regulation system worked out, then the creative teams and the marketers and all the people that create campaigns, they're still operating on their own, you know, bias and 
I think a lot of people mean really well. Like even in the gym <laughs> yesterday, I had somebody say to me, oh, you really should dye your hair because my hair, for those listening, it's fully grey and I've embraced it and I just wear it all completely grey. And this woman said to me, yeah, you really should dye your hair blonde. You'd look so much younger. And I said, you know, that's ages, don't you? <laughs> like, you know, don't, <laughs> what are you doing? And uh, she just it's wasn't also getting sexist it. in a way, kind of, because yeah. well, she said that to a man. I'm not sure. That's right. Probably not. Yeah, because women are only, you know, defined by their looks yeah. in the population. So we're not even present in some of the media as an older woman either. So that's definitely got a two-edged sword. Thank you for reminding me. So I feel, you know, that's people are not educated and that's those people are responsible for campaigns that are not just you know, one person in the gym talking to me, this is millions of people are being impacted by the work that gets sneaking out the door. I think a lot of agencies are meaning well, but I just personally think they just, people just don't know what the rules are and there's nowhere for them to have any guide on it at the moment. And if you go yeah, back a step, then the marketers too. You know, they, I've had, I coach agencies on every step of the way, what can be done. My challenge is sometimes they come to me and say, well, the agents, the clients just come and tell us this is our market and we don't argue with it. And I'm going, well, we've got a bigger problem then. It's yes. going back to strategy. Yes. It's going back to sales data to me is the most insidious, nasty problem that we've got because all that data has been collected in a condition where the bias is likely involved, not always, and the creative that was created to support that is just further embedding it and the media that it goes to is further embedding. Even media, uh, which is your cup of tea, uh, <laughs> you know, the media uh, companies have this data saying, you know, we've got this robust data for the last 20 years that tell us these are what these people want. But that data has, you know, got all this bias in place and they're so hanging on to it. So what I'd love everyone to do is just draw a line in the sand and go, okay, what does the future yeah, customer fresh want? Fresh start, you know. <laughs> it's pretty impossible to ask. Well, yeah. there's a couple of things that occurred to me as you were talking there. Firstly, it's a direct line back to what we were talking about before. Um, agencies are saying, oh, yeah, it's just what the client wants, so we have to do it. Mm. Uh, there's an experience gap there, surely. I mean, sure. it takes an experienced person at an agency to stand up to a client yeah. um, and and mm. and lead as opposed to follow. Yeah. So there's that. Um, mm. But also, it strikes me when we were talking about campaigns and creative. But mm. I think we're we're up against so much more insidious forces now. When you think about. Um, you know, we, we, it's obviously not just on TV anymore. It's not, it's not just online anymore. It, I'm thinking about things like influencers, right, Who, mm. where the messaging, they'll be briefed, but the messaging mm. that goes out is can reinforce. When you said before, mm. you know, the studies showing mental health problems, mm. my mind immediately went to people being affected by how influencers are portraying things. And I, by the way, mm. have nothing against influencers per mm. se. Mm. It's more that how is it regulated and, and what, it, what, is it, what is that kind of messaging doing? For sure. I mean, I can see there's a little bit more interest in influencer area now. And funny enough, I've had yeah, some so many people approach me to be an influencer for them on age now, which is interesting. But I feel, yeah, there's that, that only um, kind of declaration is happening and saying, yes, this is, you know, um, a paid 
sponsorship and all those things. So it's transparency, but what they say and how they're saying it's like a bit running amok. So I, I do agree. And that's part of the whole self-regulation system and, uh, you know, what's good and bad. But it takes societal uh, re-education. Well, I just think it needs such careful mm. handling because mm. part of what marketers are paying for when they use influencers is to, it's, to, it's one step removed from their brand and, and mm. it's the influencer's brand mm. that is doing the work. And, of course, that influencer's brand is outside mm. of the marketer's control. So yeah. does the marketer have to make more conscious choices in who it's choosing or mm. does it have to rein in the messaging more? Um, mm. And how, like, there is... Mm. There are different tensions there, right? Um, yeah, I do think it's a really interesting question because ultimately to me, I should have been born a strategist. Like, <laughs> I feel like in all these years in the industry, the one thing that I would have, if I knew that's what I really love so much, I would have done it from the beginning rather than I started in production, which is hilarious. Anyway, so I'm going as a strategist. This is the strategy problem. So even the choice of... Uh, influencer and really checking what kind of content they do and who their market is, that's an important strategic role. But I think a lot of people forget to do strategy in marketing and they just go straight for a tactic or rinse and repeat the last brief that came through. Yeah. This is the demographic profile from the media agency, so we're just going to target that. I'm going, surely you can break those habits. You don't have to go and buy sort of off-the-shelf demographic-based Profiling, you know, I just do not believe it's not possible to just target by programming or by attitude or things people are interested in, values or life stage problems. So life stage to me is very different than age and it's yeah. very different than demographic um, issues. So I'm just going, yeah, like I think that would be solved partly if people were just more strategic in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I... I think yeah, but I also think it takes it takes courage in that strategy and courage in execution as well. And um, yeah, that uh, I know from my own agency's mm -hmm. experience that you know we've all gone wrong mm -hmm. there. You know, lacking the courage to really stand up and be counted on yeah. this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I certainly I'm not on any mm -hmm. high horse there. I'm, a lot mm -hmm. of the clients I've worked with just weren't courageous in that regard. Yeah. You know, they they just yeah. and so that you know when when you mm -hmm. talk about conscious capitalism. Uh, ethics mm -hmm. in advertising and and the fact that we now have proof points to say that you can still make money as a business you mm -hmm. can still be commercially successful that line is drawn because the consumer sentiment is mm -hmm. positively affected by companies who are adopting these kind of things yeah. that's really interesting because that mm -hmm. starts to go somewhere to solving this bravery issue of oh my god yeah. if my sales results aren't right you know we have to do this because it's mm -hmm. five years you know for the last five years we've always advertised like this and it's always produced this result mm -hmm. um I reckon you've hit the nail on the head there. It, to me, it has to be a, a capitalist result that yes. gets the sort of conscious drive. And, you know, there's really great case studies that are showing us um, Tourism Australia, for example, is a really fantastic case study of just like nearly fell over myself with excitement because they moved from typical demographic profiling to attitudinal and they did some fresh research to define who that market was. And so instead of going, you know, 35-year-old woman living in the UK, white collar, yeah. earning this much, they were wasting so much of their media money because only half the women who were that profile wanted to come to Australia. So then what they worked out is the uh, customer is interested in adventure travel specifically and whoever's interested in adventure travel, that's who they're going to target. 
But what they worked out is that's anyone at every age and any um, financial income mm-hmm. level. Uh, and the results presented by Lisa Ronson, who was it's like a superstar in diversity as well, she um, showed that it was a 300% uh, uptake on their um, brand sales. That's a massive change. Mm-hmm. You know, like in our industry at scale like that, like Australian tourism, if you got 2 or 3%, you'd be over the moon, right? Because yeah, <laughs> the of value of that's huge. But 300% is massive. And then, you know, you look at Unilever, I am uncertain exactly of their numbers without, uh, you know, really being accurate. But my memory was it was like 30% uptake for a giant company like that mm. on those brands that have had a more of a purpose conscious level. So to me, it's just a no brainer. There's some really good books that have case studies all through them. There's one called um, Firms of Endearment, mm-hmm. so firms as That's in the awesome, company. Yeah. So the, that book was written by um, Raj, and I've forgotten his surname. He invented the conscious capitalism concept. He was actually a marketing researcher, and then he started the movement as well. But the book is great, and it has some really good case studies of other businesses that have adopted this and the success stories, mm-hmm. like actual numbers around it. So <laughs> I feel yeah, that's look, the answer. You're spot, when you say it has to be a capitalist answer, you're spot mm-hmm. on because mm-hmm. otherwise we're all in cloud cuckoo land. Of course these businesses still have to make money and there's, there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that. Um, mm-hmm. But it, anything that attracts the board mm-hmm. or the CEO, like a 30% mm-hmm. sales increase or, you know, yeah. something like that, that's the, mm-hmm. the, that's the massive key to unlock some of this stuff. And yep. like I say, you don't have to be as brave to do this kind of stuff anymore mm-hmm. if you know there's a direct route to commercial return, which um, is what everybody yes. wants at the end of the day. Look, um, you're going you're gonna to think mm. I'm the worst interviewer in the world because I want to return to something that we, <laughs> no. talked, we talked about earlier on. You need to give me some mm. lessons on how to do these podcasts. But, um, <laughs> um, look, you did touch um, before, and, you know, let's stop laughing because some of the story, mm. I mean, you, you sort of almost, you said it almost with a smile, but, of course, mm. it's serious, you know, um, mm. the sexual discrimination particularly or, 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 you know, actions like that in, in the workplace um, and, and bias within our, within our industry. Um, it's a hot topic, right? And it's a broad topic, but it extends from gender bias or discrimination against women particularly, but also unhealthy working conditions, long hours for younger people, particularly in the industry. We've had suicides in agencies caused by that sort of thing in, in recent times. Not in Australia, admittedly, but even, even so. Um, the level of opportunity afforded to Indigenous people, where are they? You know, the asserted rights of individuals identifying as as uh, LBGTQI plus, mm. ageism, more. So we've touched on mm. some of this already, but mm. focusing for uh, for a minute specifically on agencies, you know, various agencies, large and small, have been vocal about, in quotes, new initiatives in these spaces. But, mm. of course, no one, I think, with any sense would have claimed to fix things, you mm. know, that things are fine now. Mm. Thinking about the agencies and their, their initiatives and their publicity and their leadership, how much do you think is real and how much do you think is lip service? Mm. And is there any agency, because you're, you're happy to call people out, <laughs> yeah. is there anyone that you call out as a role model in this in this space or, or otherwise? Yeah, it is, uh, yeah, 100%. I loved that you were so inclusive in how you say those things and I didn't mention it earlier, but having a transgender child and kids on the spectrum. So for me, you know, those things like, you know, in, being completely inclusive and, um, you know, that there's more than one gender and uh, more yeah. than two genders as yeah. well. There's like 20 actually. Yes. Whoa. Oh, that's a spectrum, I know. Yeah. yeah. And also, um, you know, having uh, neurodiverse 
um, children too. You know, there's a whole avenue of things that we're probably not even touching on. Yet. I also didn't mention yeah. people with disabilities. I should That's have said right. that as well. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, so, there's so much to, mm. to pack into this, but yeah. Yeah, and I do have H that I focus on because I believe that they're doing harm. So it's everything we've talked about, but I also add in socioeconomic bias. Yeah. A lot of the agencies are just people who are very quite well off and, you know, they come to work and think that their customers understand their world and they just have... Yeah. Yeah, not, so not far from it. Yeah. And I was also rural and urban difference is very distinct as well. And there's a bit of, you know, misunderstanding between each. Having gone from the country to the city, you know, I have people saying things like, oh, you're so stylish for someone who lived in the country. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Or you talk fast <laughs> for a person a much more who, you know. backhanded compliment than that, but, yeah. Yeah, terrible. So, I, yeah, those things, yeah, do matter and I think it's great. And I think, yeah, generally we're missing them out with lots of those things. I think calling out people, I would say right now I feel Tinkerbell, Tinkerbell, sorry, Tinkerbell has um, what I would call, you know, hands on the ground making impact. Mm -hmm. So they're actually employing people and they've got a program. Yeah, a 55 plus program. Yeah. yeah, and they've, you know, I guess addressing diversity in other ways too. So I think that's to me the kind of program I would love everyone else to do is actually employ people who can have a voice for other communities mm -hmm. is that's one way at solving it um i would also call out big red i think they have been very bold and you know they've engaged me to train all of their staff and to sit there and be a, a council so i can see that they've progressed in the work that they've produced it's very tangible um that dan engel was actually a, yeah dan a, a, yeah a, guest on this podcast a few weeks ago and nothing you've mm. just said surprises me based on my yeah. knowledge of Dan. He's a, he's a great guy. Really good, great leadership, very inclusive. I think, yeah, they're doing um, their best to make um, actual progress. Yeah. So I commend people who are really doing things. Um, at the same time, there's also people who've, you know, done some shitty things in the past that are, you know, trying to make amends and, you know, moving towards it too. So I think there's some good things there. I won't name them. But um, <laughs> generally I feel that there are a lot of people who are campaigning though and I've been a bit vocal about one campaign in particular, the Shequel movement. I very strongly believe that's doing more harm than good. Number yeah. one, it's got bias in place from the first get-go because it's all female-focused and fighting mm -hmm. for female rights. And, yes, we need more um, equality that, you know, brings women up into the mix as well. But I think people are also misunderstanding the data too. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, you know, I'm telling you I've been discriminated against as much as anyone, so I'm not... Um, you know, discount, discounting the terrible things that happen to people. At the same time, I think there are things when it's not even counting. Like, um, you know, even one of my friends outside of work, she is absolutely abusive to her partner and no one measures that. And, uh, and her husband has no voice to even say it. And I've seen um, other uh, situations, even in the media, there was someone the other day on a talk show and someone said, oh, if my husband was cheating on me, I would cut his balls off and or I'd punch his head in or whatever. I'm going, if that was a man, imagine, yeah, you know, and absolutely. that was just not even a blink. So I do think there's problems on both sides. But having a movement 
that's all she focused, um, I think is just going to polarise. We also know that there's, like I'm saying, I'm so like anal about data and you can't say something without proving it, right? Mm. And so there are studies that are showing us that there's a backlash to um, these types of feminist um, activities and that more people in these later years believe that the woman's job is in the home and the man's job is in charge of that house as the breadwinner. There's more people think that now than in 1991, okay? Far out it was bad in 1991 because I was experiencing the worst of it back then. So we're really messed up if that's what it's taking. So to me, all of those campaigns, which are just talk and awareness, and I haven't seen any actual improvement. So Mm. I feel like, and there's no evidence to say it's working either. So I'm like, no, we got to do something else. Look, it's, I, I mean, we could talk all day about this. I, I think <laughs> it's, um, for what it's worth, I think it's brilliant that you you spoke out. I mean, you wrote an article recently to, to that effect. And um, mm-hmm. it's, like, to me, integrity and balance is everything and it works. It doesn't really yeah. just go run one way. And um, yeah. if a movement that's all about equality and raising awareness that, that, that needs to be balanced. It can't be polarising. And, and I think, I mean, what you just said, it's interesting. Mm. When you were talking about, well, more people believe that a woman's place is in the home than they did mm. in 1991. Mm. What ran through my head, actually, was, funny enough, and I'll bear mm. with me on this, but yeah. was, was Trump, was Donald Trump, mm-hmm. who <laughs> won the election by deliberately driving very, very polarising routes mm-hmm. of uh, views and, 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 and opinions mm-hmm. so that the right, for want of a better term, would come out and vote in ways that they, they'd never mm-hmm. done before. But in, mm-hmm. in driving that, you then you, you just forced everyone else into a corner. And so they have to strongly stand up for the opposite. So, so mm-hmm. bear with me, because it's, it's a long bow I'm drawing, but yeah. I'd, I'd love to understand, I don't have data to back this up, but... Mm. Feminist movements that are actively, stridently driving for things that on the that no one should disagree with necessarily. Agreed. Yeah. Um, but the way in which they're driving it mm-hmm. is forcing others to disagree more and more, just and become more and more entrenched in that because they feel mm-hmm. like under attack. And maybe that is some mm-hmm. why suddenly you've got more people than in 1991, mm-hmm. which is astonishing, really. Mm-hmm. It, it comes from people becoming more and more entrenched because they're under attack from from mm-hmm. from this kind of. Yeah. Now I. All of that is just me thinking as I talk, right? I have no, no, that, no proof or anything else. It's actually but. a good hypothesis. And to be honest, the 5050 uh, report done by Canberra University a few years back now actually validates exactly that and they even mentioned Donald Trump. Oh, there you go. So okay. I would say you're right on track. And yeah. there's actually, you know, like a, um academic thesis that proposes that, that actually is the cause of a backlash uh, from you know, hyper feminine stuff. We've also got research that says that more people, more men will support a cause that they're included in as well. So that means why would they support Sheikwal if it thinks that they're going to be taking jobs from them? And even the Sheikwal's own reports and stuff are saying that, you know, there's a lot of men in the advertising industry now who are feeling they're going to be discriminated against. But it would feel that way because... JWT goes and fires five people in London and, you know, Sydney and, you know, around the world. They're getting rid of people who've all got, you know, uh, grey hair or whatever. So I feel like there's, yeah, it's not safe in that backlash and there's, you know, a lot of the people who were 
sacked were men. It's also because there aren't that many women in creative departments in the first place, but um, it's complex. And to me, you can't win this race unless everybody is being considered, yeah. Well, I can say, I mean, is it just reflecting on my own personal experience as a guy in the last three or four years, maybe mm. five years, mm. I have been turned down for two jobs mm. and the unofficial reason given to me verbally was it's because I'm a guy. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, we're, uh, two, we're, two, we're two male pattern style, we need a woman. Mm. And that, that yeah. left me really conflicted because that's, mm. active discri- that's discrimination against me based on gender. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously I'm not going to name who, who these people are or mm. were. And, mm. But... And, and it was actually, it was done apologetically. It was done a kind of, mm. look, we have to. Now, that's wrong. It's wrong on so many levels, right? It's wrong yeah. as it's discrimination. It's wrong that mm. I, actually that's really patronising to women. You know, you're tick boxing mm. because you want to have the, you know, a face mm. in, in your photo. Mm. Um, but but yeah. I was very conflicted because, you know, part mm. of me is like, well, look, you know, I've just been discriminated against, but at the end of the day, that's what women have faced for the past 50 years. And so mm. if it's only happening to me now, then, well, do you know what? Mm. The, I, I sort of deserve it, but the mm. other, the other, the other way to mm. look at it is: well, how can you? Equality should be equality. It's not the, the aim should not be the reverse of the discrimination, so that women come out on top. That's exactly right. The, the rever- yeah, you, you I know, call that. To, I've you, got a name you're for balancing it. Balancing <laughs> things up as opposed mm. to. Um, mm. So I, I actually think the name Shequel is mm. is like that is. It's great. Of course, it should be about quality. But mm. if the if the driving force and the way it's presented mm. is actually getting one over on, mm. you know, in, in, in strident like that, yeah. it's self defeating as far as I'm concerned. But that's yeah. I, I have got a really big problem even with the word feminism, to, to be honest, because it's even though the true meaning of it, everyone like loves to fight and say, but the true meaning of feminism is, you know, actually equality. I go, yeah, but it's got the word feminine in it. So it's actually a biased word and people's interpretation of it is it's fighting for women's rights. So the use of it, even if the ultimate meaning is biased, putting she in that word, and I even was the only person in that room of a strategic room full of smart agency people, none of them got this and I was horrified. I'm going, you're serious? You're talking to yourselves. So you're all, the word she in it is only talking to women. And, you know, if it had said equal with, you know, some cool yeah. logo on it, then to me we were doing the right thing. But, yeah, I feel it's proven now. I'm like, okay, you go do your own thing. There's a room full of smart people. Am I the only one fighting against this? Yet I'm going, here's the data. And the annoying thing was that there was someone from, a university at the time who was running a research project around this and uh, I said there was research from other universities that was showing that this strategy of she-aligned strategy was going to fail and the researcher said, yeah, well, show me that report and I'll blow that shit up. (laughs) Like that in front of everyone. I was like, oh, my God, that's like supposed to be... Uh, an ethical, unbiased oh, research God. project? What this the hell? A, this is a guy who said that? Or it was actually a woman. Wow. Uh, she was out to disprove anything that didn't back feminists. The way you said it sounded like traditional alpha male bullshit, oh. which, which is my own bias there. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I just assumed it was a guy. But. Well, it is interesting because I think a lot of women think to get heard and have power is to become masculine. So that's actually, and all of this that we've sort of talking about, which is overcompensating and one or the other and not appreciating our difference i call diversity oversteer yes and so you can become tokenistic 
you can start to uh, then have this backlash. You can ha start having, you know, over consideration of putting women in roles that they're not right for just for the sake of a number. And I'm not saying these agency people weren't right, but you would hope that the best person got the, the job, best right? Person, best <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I feel there's, there's definitely a lot of pressure to break those, uh, you know, professional standards to it. I love moment. that. I love that. Mm. Diversity. Over, I'm going to steal that. Sorry. Yeah, please. I am. <laughs> Diversity obviously. That's a great, that's a great, um, mm. no one, no one disagrees with the, with the, the aim of society. Well, no one would have, mm. no one at this table, agree, you know, disagrees with the, the fact that we should have more diversity and, and, mm. and things should be balanced. But Actually, the oversteer thing, that's really... Yeah, yeah, thank you. That's I exactly really, what about. yeah, I fight for that as much as I fight for equality. Actually, is I do think it, it causes harm equally at the other end. It's funny because someone asked me the other day, "What should we do for the LGBTQIA plus audience in our office?" And I'm going, to be honest, nothing. <laughs> it's not appropriate to make con concession for people's sexuality in an office. They're just people, so respect everyone for whoever they are. And don't single out this community and make them feel, you know, overly focused on. Just let them come to work and be who they want to be and go home and sleep with whoever they want to sleep with. Yeah. Um, perhaps transgender would be a different thing, which is not a sexuality thing. It's an identity and gender thing. And there's some practicalities in the office that do get impacted. So, for example, you know, that there's a safe place they can go to the bathroom without feeling that they have to choose the pink one or the blue yes. one, right? So... That's something that could be impacted. And I know that, you know, trans is included in the T of the LGBT part, but um, to me the way that LGBTQI, it's actually about your sexuality. It's not about your identity. Yeah. Well, we're getting into a whole different topic here, but, but <laughs> yeah. yes, the history of that movement clearly mm. is, is, was to do with sexuality. And, and, yeah. and uh, mm. I think there is... I mean, from what I can understand, there's some division in that community anyway with, with, with regard to trans particularly and, and mm. different people have different views and, of course, it's because it's, a, mm. it's an identity thing and not a, not a sexuality thing. And, yeah. Um, we are getting well away from agencies <laughs> and marketing here, but, but, yeah, but I, just, I just wanted to ask you quickly because we've, we've run way over, but that's, that's the sign mm. of a good conversation. But um, mm. what, what's the response? The, the article that you wrote about Sheikul, what's the mm. response being... And I'd love to, I mean, we've sort of touched on this already, but what do you think the industry would have done if, if a guy had written it? I do think that the industry would have gone berserk if a guy had said it. Absolutely berserk. Yeah. Honestly. And all the more reason I felt I had to. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we could easily just sit back and go, oh, don't rattle the cage with those, you know, loud women, you know, and uh, that is just as much of a problem. So I am in a unique position that I can. I'm also in a unique position because I've been impacted by the, consequences of bias in the past so I'm you know you could use the word victim which I don't really like to use but you know I've been through that so I'm in that doubly unique position and um but the response has been amazing I have been inundated with support and uh definitely a lot of men who are going thank goodness that someone's being you know fair and reasonable here because and there's even, you know, studies that are telling us most of the agencies and most of the people working in it want this fixed. My yes. problem is nobody just knows how to do it and they are only seeing one 
little section. So they can only have impact on a very small level. So this is why I think we've got to go back to strategy. Then how does it move through into the brief to the agency? How does the agency take on, you know, the brief? How does the creative department express it? And where does the media put it? And then how does the consumer complain about it and how do people get charged for repeat offending? Mm. That's like the whole flow and we haven't got that uh, focus on the whole thing right now. I feel like I'm the only one. It's like exhausting and I and sort of spend more time doing this than running my own business sometimes because mm. it's so important. But, yeah, there's just this huge gap. Um, so it is a bit frustrating and individuals can only do so much just with their own little department. But I do think it's possible for agencies to collaborate together and, you know, even pull their own workshop together and go, how can we impact this problem in every touch point? I would love to see the industry rally together to have a more clear guide on how to uh, interpret these things too. And like we said before, start with the capitalist thing. Mm. So start with the business performance uh, goal then the workflow that will reach that and then I think we can actually then have more visibility and accountability to how we operate as agencies and businesses in our day job. I think we're putting all the focus on people in the office and all that first and I think it's the wrong way around. So I would rather, you know, make everyone understand the impact that they're putting out into the world and then become more responsible and then learn as they go and, and then the office will change too. So this is back to front. <laughs> yes, but I'm glad you I'm glad you pulled this conversation back to the, the core <laughs> the core of our industry, right? I mean, mm. it was it was um, you know it's mm. been it's been fantastic talking um, so broadly with you, but I, I think that's mm. a good place to finish. I, I agree. Uh, it's a really interesting concept that the whole you know the, let, let's look at it from the other end of the telescope and approach mm. it from there. Um, I hope I, I hear your frustration, <laughs> but without people. I, putting their head over the parapet like you, mm. you know, nothing would happen. So I really hope you continue and uh, I wish you every success and let's hope thank for you. more change in the industry and, and hopefully mm. try and action it as well. And that's right. We, thank you so much for the support and having a chance to share it. I do think everyone's got to do their little bit, so I'll just keep doing my bit. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> thank that's, you. That's okay. Thanks a lot. Mm.